Let's bow for a word of prayer and move into our study. Lord, we do thank you for our time together that we could study your word today. I do pray that you would guide and direct our discussion and that you would just continue to work within us and build within us as we continue to lay foundation for understanding how we do apologetics in a way that we hope honors and glorifies you and seeks to point people to the gospel of Christ and show them your great love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Last week we began talking about the concepts of knowledge and just how we know things. And we looked at a passage from Colossians that talks about how all the wisdom and knowledge is hidden in Christ. And there's other passages that, that speak to similar realities. Uh, and we kind of made some conclusions from that. Knowledge is only possible because there's a God who created all things, right? Logic only works because God exists. If there was no creator, if there was no God, then we would have no reason to conclude that logic would work. We would have no reason to conclude that knowledge as an objective reality is something that was knowable and possible. But because these things do exist, uh, we do have a firm uh, confidence in the reality that there is a God and He has created all things and all true knowledge flows from Him, either directly or indirectly. All true knowledge flows from Jesus Christ, either directly or indirectly. Last week I mentioned we're still laying the foundation, a biblical foundation for our methodology for apologetics. And as I mentioned last week, and we're kind of in the same flow of things this week, we're not yet to actual methodology for how we engage with people. We're still laying um, you know, f- foundational principles down that we'll stand upon as we begin uh, discussing how we actually go about doing apologetics. But we're getting closer. <laughs> we're going to get there. Uh, and hopefully, uh, let's see, so next week we're not going to have um, our class in the morning. Uh, so hopefully, though, in the, uh, after that, after Christmas, we'll start getting into some methodological, how we actually engage people with the gospel, how we do apologetics, applying all of the information, all these foundational things that we're discussing and laying down right now, applying that to our methodology for how we go about engaging people for Christ. Yes, yes, we will have Christmas Day service. It'll be at 10 o'clock. Yep. This week, uh, I want to explore the relationship between faith and reason. Sometimes people start talking about the concepts of faith and reason as if they're in opposition to one another. And I don't believe that that's the case. I don't think Scripture bears that out. But before we even get into all of that, let's just define a few terms. Let's, let's just have a little discussion about the word faith. But for the sake of this exercise, we want to define faith, but I want us to avoid using the words trust, belief, or the derivatives. So if we're... Because yeah, this is... We, so often when we're trying to define terms, we're using the term to define itself, right? And that's sometimes less helpful. Oh, what does it mean to believe? Well, it means you believe something's true. Well, you just use the word to define the word. Let's try to see if there are other words that we can use to help us understand faith, belief, trust. What are those things? What is that concept? Confidence. Yes. That's one of my favorite words to talk about, concept of faith. Assurance. Assurance. That's another good word. 
There's one more that sometimes gets thrown around is the concept of reliance. It's related to the concept of confidence. When you're trusting in something, when you have faith in something, when you believe in something, you're relying upon it and its truthfulness. You have confidence that it's true. You have confidence that it is what it purports to be. So when you see a chair and you're going to sit in it, it's not just an intellectual exercise. Oh, I believe that chair is going to hold me. You know, there's confidence as you actually pull out the chair and you take the seat that it's actually going to support you and hold you up, that it's not going to collapse underneath you, right? <laughs> yeah, there, there, it's, it's, more than just a, um, it's more than just a mental exercise is what I'm getting at here, that, that it, it, it produces, it, it informs how we actually make our choices about how we go about doing things. So confidence, reliance, what are you confident in? If you believe that something is true, you are trusting, you're having faith, you're placing your confidence in that thing. Uh, there's lots of, I use the illustration of a chair, we use the illustration of, you know, a pilot in an airplane. You have confidence that he has the skills necessary to fly that plane, right? At least we hope we do, right? <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, I have no idea how it's happening. But I know it works. Right. Because I've been on the other side, but it makes no sense. Yeah. So sometimes, yeah, sometimes our confidence is perhaps less in, in the thing itself, but it's confident in someone else who knows more than I do yeah. about something. Right. I don't know how this flame's thing. There's physics and, you know, science behind it. But... <laughs> But there are people who do, and you're trusting their judgment in the midst of it, right? And so that element is at play too, where there's, there's people that have demonstrated themselves to be sufficiently knowledgeable about it, that you're trusting and having confidence in their knowledge in application for... There's no fake it till you make it. <laughs> yeah, there, there is no fake it till you make it with the pilot, that is for sure. Right. Yes. And that's kind of what we're going to get into today. We're talking about the relationship between faith and reason, that it's not just, you know, throwing caution to the wind, you know, throwing reason to the wind. These things actually go together. Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. The words for faith and belief and trust are used all throughout the New Testament, all throughout all Scripture, really. Just, it is just all over the place. But if you want to ask the question, where is faith defined, Hebrews 11 is where you turn. The very first verse, that's exactly it. Who would like to read that's verses 1 through 3? Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Who, go ahead, Ruth.
comment, commendation. commendation. Yeah, yeah, that, that, go ahead. Apologize for correcting you, but the 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 uh, those two that those two words have like opposite meanings. <laughs> Commendation versus condemnation. Uh, yeah, we are not condemned for our faith, right? It's yeah. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. In some ways, it is, um, but for our purposes today, we're just going to pick it up right here. Uh, so faith is assurance. Now, that word, we used that word assurance earlier. Uh, the word assurance is if you open up different translations of the Bible and turn to this verse, you're going to see a variety of different words there. Uh, some translations render it as confidence. Um, some, uh, mm, I'll have to look it up as far as who reads it. Uh, renders. There's two words here that have overlapping meanings, and I don't want to mix them up. But some of the, uh, there's the words conviction and proof kind of get intermixed within these co- concepts as well. Uh, but the word assurance speaks of something that there's, there's substance there. There's the, it's like the ground upon which we stand. There's actual reality behind the thing itself. So this word is used in other places to speak of Christ being the substance of divinity like there's there's actual substance there. It's not just a, it's not just the appearance of something. It's not just a shadow of something. But there's there's something there. There's 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 a there's confidence. There's assurance. There's something grounding us in there. Good morning. And so when we think about this concept of faith, we're not just talking about like some ethereal nebulous concept that's just like some kind of like mere mental assent to something. There is a mental assent. Like we do have to affirm that something is true, but it runs deeper than that. There's, there's a confidence in the midst of it. It's the confidence of things hoped for. So God has given us promises in the gospel, right? What are some of the promises that come in the gospel? Forgiveness of sins. What else? If we place our faith. If we place our, yeah, so, so in, uh, that's all part of it. If we're believing in the gospel, we're believing in the promises of God. What is He promising in the gospel if we have faith? What, so you said forgiveness of sins. What else? There's other eternal life, life. Anything else? Promises to hear us when we come in prayer. Yes. Never leave you or forsake you. Never be alone. All kinds of different promises that come to us through the gospel. There's promises that will be with Him in His kingdom and ruling and reign with Him. There's a restoration of our relationship with the Father that was broken and marred by sin. There's adoption. We're, we're promised to be adopted into the family of God. We have all these promises. These are things that we hope for, but that hope is not, again, it's not like a... Um, well, I'm kind of unsure. I hope it happens, but, you know, I'm not sure. Right, exactly. Yeah, we are in the Christmas season, aren't we? Well, I hope I get this for Christmas. I hope, you know, this, that, and the other thing. 
No, there's, there's a confidence there. There's, there's assurance. There's like, no, this, this is what God has said, and I believe that's true. I'm confident in it. There's, there's assurance there. So faith is not just a nebulous mental assent, but it's, it speaks of something more grounded than that. It is not only the assurance of things hoped for, but it's also the conviction of things not seen. Presently, at this exact moment, we do not see our Savior face to face, do we? We don't. But one day that's going to happen, right? That is coming. Well, faith is the conviction of things that we don't presently see, but God has promised them. He's promised that we'll spend eternity with Him. He's promised that we'll be with Him in His kingdom. And so if that's the faith that we have, that's the conviction. Again, it's, it speaks of something more than just head knowledge. It gets down into our hearts. And it gets down into the very fiber of our being and affects the way we do things. Yes. 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 And that, that is a, uh, so Paul, yeah, you mentioned Paul uh, sees through the glass darkly, but then I shall see face to face. There's that hope, that looking forward to what's going to come. Romans speaks of the glory that shall be revealed in the sons of God. Uh, and in that same passage in Romans 8, it says that if we hope for what we see, we're actually not hoping for it because we see it. We have the reality right there in front of us. The very fact that it is not yet seen is the reason why it's something that's hoped for. But again, it's more than just a, yeah, I hope the Bears win the game today. Well, I don't know if it's going to happen. I hope it does. I think it'd be a type of um, cognitive dissonance. <laughs> just, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I, oh, I hope I get to hold my Bible in my hand today. It's right there. You know, it's like, why did, that's not something I have to hope for. It's, it's already there. So it's the, the, the hope speaks of, some, of a reality that is coming. It's not yet in our hands. It's not yet in our midst. So, yeah. <laughs> But again, it's not a trust in it. there's the hope in that sense. You, you don't know if you're ever going to find a unicorn. <laughs> Do you know, are you ever going to, for sure that you're ever going to find one? Yeah. Life. So it's an uncertain hope. Right. It's an uncertainty. And we're contrasting that. Every time the word hope shows up in the Bible, there's certainty behind it. Yeah. Well, it's one of those words that this, the, uh, the semantic meaning has shifted over time. So that, that just happens in language. And so we use it today in uncertain contexts. Well, in scriptures, it speaks of it in certain contexts, that there's, there's reasons for why we believe what we believe. And that's what we're getting into as we continue to talk about the concepts of faith and reason. We have confidence in something. We have conviction in something. But it's not just because, like, it, it's not this nebulous thing. There's grounding behind it. And this is where uh, the author of Hebrews is going to go on to expand upon the concept. For by it the people of old received their commendation. 
uh, you know, we think of Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. I was reading this week that uh, some atheists and philosophers like to define what it means to believe as to avoid knowing what is true. Right, we got this atheist, we got these philosophers, and they're saying, oh, if you're believing in something, well, it's just because you're avoiding the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Someone else, a different philosopher, says that belief is, is uh, believing in something despite the evidence against it. Yeah. They're pitting, so they're, they're, they have an empiricist worldview, an empiricist mindset where something is true only if I can empirically verify it, if I, can, if I can test it, if I can verify it through either reason, logic, deduction, or experience, then I can deduce that it's true. That's their argument. However, they're missing the reality that in this process of trying to deduce and discover truth through this empirical means, they have faith that this is the correct methodology. Like they're not proving the methodology, they're having faith in it. So that they're, they're, you can't avoid faith, but this is how they, they try to pit these things against each other. But we want to make the case that no, faith and reason are not against each other. So in verse 3, the author of Hebrews writes, by faith we, what's the word? Understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith we understand. There's a relationship between faith and reason. That word for understand speaks of, of something going on inside the mind. Like there's, there's, a, there's reasoning happen within our mind at that moment. By faith, we understand something. We, we come to know something within our minds. There's a relationship here between our minds and our confident convictions. And the reality is, this is what I was alluding to a moment ago, we all use faith when we reason. Especially, in, and I would say even especially as it relates to things like the origins of all things, none of us were there when the universe came into being, right? Nobody was there. None of our scientists were there. Nobody, none of our philosophers were there. None of our uh, you know, pastors were there. Our, our theologians were there. Nobody was there. So, except Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> Yeah. The same people come up with the universe, you know. What evidence is there that the universe provides anything for us? Mm-hmm. Like setting up their own God and having faith in that, which is yourself. Isn't it ironic that they refer so so you said that they uh you asked the question, what has the universe provided for us? And you use that language as if the universe itself is, has volition, or as if the universe itself has um, sentience of some kind, like it's aware of anything. But the way some scientists and some individuals talk about the universe and things, they almost talk about it that way. Yeah. 
Right. It's like the... Well, yeah, that's that's another realm. The, the whole new age movement and things. Yeah. I giggle about the yeah, Jim Snarks about horoscopes, but I Yeah. Um, when it comes to like the zodiac signs and stuff, there's one of my favorite memes is so oh so what's your zodiac sign? Oh, it's the dinosaur. That one's not even real. None of them are real. <laughs> like none of them are real. Like they're all made up. Yeah, yeah. So that's that that's another realm, like the whole astrology realm. Like that's that's another thing altogether. Um, but in in talking about the, the the concepts of like the scientists and the naturalistic individuals, the people who would also deny the astrology and all that stuff. Even so, like I, I've heard, I've listened to Neil deGrasse Tyson. He goes on Joe Rogan, you know, and he he has these conversations. Some of it's very interesting to listen to, but he betrays a little bit of his presuppositions. He betrays where he's coming from in, in some of the ways that he talks about things, when he talks about the universe and almost personifies it in a way that is just nonsensical with even his own purported belief system. Like, like he doesn't actually believe the universe is sentient, and yet he speaks of it in that way. Well, when we talk about things like origins and where the universe came from, we're all Every one of us has to go back to faith or belief in something upon which we build the foundation of the rest of our worldview and the rest of our belief system. Whether that's for, for a naturalistic worldview and naturalistic understanding, again, there's no way to test the Big Bang theory. Like, there's no way to empirically verify that. It's a theory, it's a belief that comes about. There's no way to test it. It betrays and this is why we're talking about presuppositionalism, it betrays presuppositions. So this is why the author of the Hebrews says, by faith we understand. All right, none of us were there at the beginning. We're all relying upon some fundamental assumptions or presuppositions in order to conclude what we conclude about the origin of the universe. Well, by faith we understand. It's because we believe that God exists and is an all-powerful being that we understand, it stands to reason, we conclude that therefore He is the one who has created all things. Does that make sense? The, the creation, we, it's by faith that we understand these things. We, it just it makes sense. It's logical. It logically flows when these things come together. We, have, we all have underlying assumptions in our belief about the origins of all things, and it shows us what some of our presuppositions are once we begin to probe into some of those things. Now, that's going to come into play in a big way when it comes to pre, when it comes to our methodology. When we start again uh, um, taking every thought captive, destroying strongholds, every lofty opinion that raises itself up against the knowledge of God, we start uh, going after presuppositions of unbiblical worldviews. This is going to come into play in a big way. But what we conclude is that creation, and there's a there's a phrase called ex nihilo. Creation means out of nothing. That the ex nihilo is is out of nothing. Yeah, it's a Latin phrase. Yeah. Yeah, out of nothing. Yep, that's what. So this is the logical conclusion, based off of what we know. 
of what God has revealed. The things that are made came into being from things that were not seen. What is seen is, was not made out of things that are visible, right? The universe is not eternal. Matter isn't eternal. And this, this is verifiable through laws of physics, laws of logic, uh, philosophers. Uh, this, is a, uh, this is a problem for all atheists and secularistic worldviews to try to say that anything is eternal other than a non-physical um, being, God. Yes. It almost, it takes almost a, I would say, a greater level of faith to believe that it's just always been. Yes. And, you know, maybe there was a universe beyond that and it went into a big crunch and then it, and it just kept on doing that for eternity, from eternity past and it will always keep. Yeah. There's there's that line that says I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, right? That people people kind of say that. It's a serious point though, that it to believe to your point to believe that the universe has always existed and that matter has always existed. You have to you have to den- deny certain laws of the, of what we know about how the universe functions today things would have to change, and you're breaking all kinds of logical laws, physics laws, um, just philosophy laws. The whole uh, concept of infinite regress, which is a, you know, it's always going back, it's always going back, it's always going back. That's what you have to affirm in order to conclude that the universe is eternal, and it just doesn't work that way. Like, it doesn't make sense that that would be the case. And here's the, here's the interesting thing, is that there are scientists who are more readily open to the concept that there was some being that did kick things off, but they still want to deny that that being was God. So, some, some, some aliens from a different dimension or some alternate universe or whatever, there's those sorts of theories are being explored because the evidence does not allow for eternal matter existence. And so they are, more, they, are, they are more happy to go the route of alternate dimensions and alternate universes than to simply conclude God created.
Yeah. Or infinite number of universes that may have no beginning or no end. <laughs> Things get complicated. So you start watching these movies and all these different, you know, the, the multiverse of madness, all this kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, no, that's, we get all, all kinds of crazy stuff. Yes. It's a yeah. Suppress and replace, right? That's that's what's that's the game. That's what's afoot, and that is what we're seeking to expose and challenge as we go about our apologetic methodology. There's a couple more things about faith and reason I do want us to discuss today as we continue to think about these concepts. Here in this passage, there is a relationship between the two. It logically makes sense and flows that there was creation from nothing. That's the only logical conclusion. But there is also faith in the mix of this. So there's faith and reason coming together. We see from various passages of Scripture that, first of all, we see very clearly God does want us to have faith, right? He does want us to have belief. He does want us to have confidence in something. So there's various passages. You can jot these down. We're not going to go, you know, John 1, 12, uh, as many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God to those who believe on his name. Uh, Mark 1, 15 says that from that time, uh, Jesus went and began to preach. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then there's a command, repent and believe in the gospel. And then Acts 16, 31 it says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So we have these commands. We have all throughout Scripture the, the faith and belief is, is held up as a virtuous thing. It's a good thing that we, God does want us to have faith. But again, this is not in opposition to reason. God also wants us to use reason. So we see in different passages This is the case. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, the Lord says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. He's he's offering something to the people. Let us reason together. What makes sense? Are you sure you want to stay with your pagan idols? Wouldn't it be better for you to come to the Lord? So he's reasoning with the people. Uh, James 3.17, this is a very interesting text. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. He says, The wisdom from above is open to reason. Now, some translations translate that phrase as ready to yield or ready to submit. And the concept is not about just like a... um, like an obedience type of idea in this context. It's, it's about the concept of, of yielding to better reason. Like when there's an argument that's pre- presented and you realize, you know what, that's actually a better case than what I was believing before. You're making better arguments. I'm ready to yield to that. I'm ready to submit to that. I'm ready to say, okay, you know what, you're being reasonable here. I will submit to that. And God says that's wisdom from above. Uh, James 3.17, Yeah. 
So he doesn't want us just to be arbitrary as we go about our lives, as we live our Christian life and just, yeah, I think I'll do this and all that. No, we're to be ready to yield, ready to be open to reason, listening to what people say and, and drawing conclusions, saying, hey, does this match up with Scripture? Is this a reasonable thing? And then I, all these Acts passages, I'm not going to go through them all, but in each and every one of them, it says that Paul was reasoning with the people. He reasoned with them, trying to convince them. And it says some of them were persuaded. So we have reason, we have convincing, we have persuasion. Those are elements going on in the Apostle Paul's ministry as he is ministering and proclaiming the gospel, seeking to demonstrate that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, especially amongst the Jews in particular, uh, though that kind of terminology is used. And so we see this, that the Christian life is not just to be an arbitrary thing, now, there is a relationship. God does want us to have faith, but He also wants us to be critical thinkers. He doesn't want us to check our minds at the door when we start talking about belief in God's Word. He does want us to use reason. And so we conclude that faith and reason are not in opposition to one another. They're not opposed to one another. Faith is not baseless. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it talks about how uh, there were many convincing proofs that were performed among the people. All right, they were proclaiming the gospel, they are proclaiming the good news, and it wasn't just like, hey, you know, either believe it or you don't. No, there were demonstrations that were done. Now, some of that was signs and miracles. Some of that was reasoning through providing logic and understanding, like, hey, this is what the Scripture says, and this is how it's fulfilled, etc. 1 Peter 3.15, that's a, one of the famous apologetics text. Always be ready to give a defense for the reason for the hope that's within you. Like, we are to have a defense. We are to have a reason for our faith. Yes. Yeah, it should be. Like, you know, now there are times, as you mentioned, um, you get on an airplane, we don't understand all the laws of physics. We're trusting other individuals who do have that knowledge. But even then, it's not a full blind faith. Right? Yeah. You're not stepping onto. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was actually about to say almost that exact thing. It's like, it's not like the Wright brother showed up in a Boeing 737 and said, all right, come on board. It's like, this has never been tested before, right? Yeah, there's good reason. Even in that instance, there's good reason to trust that this bird's going to fly. So, yeah. Right. Absolute confidence. Or I may have no idea, but I know the person who's telling me knows what they're doing. Yes. And they are a, they are trustworthy individuals, right? So I may not know how this works, but the creator of the universe who presumably knows how this works. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like, I don't know how the universe came into being, but I know someone who was there, right? I know the Lord was there, and He told us how it came into being. So there's those, those sorts of things. 
Uh, we're about out of time, but just to, just to kind of wrap things up here. Um, so faith is not baseless, but reason is also not void of faith. When you start going back, like we have, we reason through things, but, but it is also not void of faith altogether. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 19 is talking about Abraham when he's going to get ready to sacrifice his son on the altar. It's like, well, how could he do that? Well, he applied reason in the midst of things and he logically sussed out this concept that, you know what? Hebrews eleven nineteen says, he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. He used reasoning. He considered. He used logic. He's like, okay, God has promised me that he's going to make a nation out of Isaac, but he's telling me to sacrifice them. Therefore, I conclude that God is able to raise up Isaac from the dead. That's, that's a tremendous amount of faith, right? But he was using logic. He was using reason in the midst of that. His reason was not void of faith, though. He was believing in God and the promises that God had made. Yes. It, it is incredible. And it goes back to our definition of what faith is. You know, to, to think that someone would be willing even to kill their own son, believing that God was able to raise him from the dead, but the pain that, as you mentioned, that would be experienced in the process but it goes back to the definition of faith being that confidence, being that assurance, being that, that ground upon which, no, God, God has said what He has said, and it's true. And so I'm reasoning, I'm, I'm drawing conclusions, extrapolating out the, what that means practically in my life, even when God has told me to sacrifice my son, which we know that He didn't actually sacrifice him. God provided the substitute, right, the ram. But Abraham didn't know that was coming. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There's there's a a tremendous display of faith in the midst of that and logic and reason. And this is what I'm trying to help us see today is that the two go together. Faith is not baseless and reason is not void of faith. Going back to the beginning of the chapter of Hebrews 11, by faith we understand. You know, we're, we're reasoning things out. We're drawing conclusions. We're using logic. But even that logic has to start somewhere. And that starting place is always a standing on faith of something whether that's the biblical worldview and what God has revealed or whether it's a secularistic worldview and they're making their logical arguments based off of something else, wherever the starting place is, is always a standing point of faith. Always. Reason itself is not void of faith. And reason that depends on faith reveals our presuppositions. Going back 
as you're reasoning backwards, wherever we stand, that starting place, that where we're standing, it's faith. Well, that's showing us what our presuppositions are. What are we holding at the beginning that we're reasoning from, and what's the outflow of that? It all begins there. It shows us our presuppositions. So that's, that's what we have, relationship between faith and reason. Um, there's a lot more that could be said, but we're out of time. So we shall leave them unsaid for today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You do not call us to check our minds at the door when we enter into uh, corporate gatherings for worship. You do not call us to uh, simply try to logic our way through life without uh, trusting in something and trusting in You. Well, Lord, You have brought these two concepts together. You do call us to have faith. You do call us to use reason. I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful people. I pray that we would be reasonable people. I pray, Lord, that we would honor You with how we use our hearts and our minds. Lord, as we seek to understand what our presuppositions are and seek to uh, use this information to expose the presuppositions of unbiblical worldviews and show them uh, the love of Christ, I pray that you would help us, guide us, give us wisdom, give us grace. May we always have our discussions with gentleness and respect as you call us to in First Peter. Thank you for our time together today. I pray that you would bless the rest of our time as we worship you later on, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.